soil is just waiting for us to pay attention to it. It will be inevitable that eventually people realize, hey, what about this thing that actually makes sense? The carbon that's in the atmosphere that we're all complaining about, maybe instead of just talking about reducing emissions, we could actually draw it back down. Hey guys, welcome back to Hey Change and to a special extra episode. This was actually a live recording I did with Rob Herring, who is the director of the film The Need to Grow. And we had just been watching the film collectively in my community, The Action Squad, and Rob was kind enough to come and talk to us all and share some of his insights and knowledge and his love and passion for soil and regeneration and the earth. And The chat was just so good that I thought I might as well just make this into an episode on the podcast so that all of you guys can listen to it as well because there's so much to learn, so much to spread, and um, we don't have time to just hold these things secret. So I'm happy to share it with you. I hope you learn a lot within the next hour. And um, if you haven't seen the film already, you definitely need to check it out. The film is called The Need to Grow. It's currently available on Amazon in the US or on Vimeo. So go to theneedtogrow.com. I've also linked that in my show notes to make sure to check it out. And uh, for you who might be interested in joining the Action Squad, I really hope you have a look and see what that might mean for you because it's an online community of change makers, climate leaders, people who are passionate about making this world a better place and we come together to learn and grow in each other's companies and uh, we do things like the live screening q a's with cool people like rob and um, hosting a bunch of my climate optimist classes and uh, really the mission is to make us all more empowered climate leaders and influential people in the world so head over to the action squad.com if you have any interest in joining a community like that. I hope to see you there. You can go and try it out for free for a week. See if you like it. And if not, no worries. I am glad to have you here. And uh, without further ado, let's just get my babbling over with and let's head into my conversation with Rob. What makes soil magic you know, this golden nugget, this hidden treasure is, it's invisible. All of those beautiful things about it are invisible. And so we have these creatures in this biodiversity, you know, nature films and, and documentaries and, and planet earth shows on Netflix and things like this, but we can't see the diversity that's happening in the soils. And it's just as diverse, you know, tens of thousands of different species can be in just a, a tablespoon of soil. And they're all interacting in different ways, but it's on this microcosmic scale. So it's very easy, I think, to dismiss that when you know we look at agriculture and we plant seeds and we water it, we don't know really what's happening. And even today, as much as we're embracing soil um, solutions and the science, this, the, the top scientists will admit that maybe we know 1% of what's going on down there. And so it's it's kind of uh, humbling to think about the fact that we genuinely know more about the cosmos, the stars in the sky, than we do about the way that soil microbes actually interact with each other and with plant roots. And so I think that's part one. And then the other part of it, like you mentioned, is you know money. We live in this capitalistic uh, society, of course, and holistic solutions that are foundational will 
never be embraced by industries that profit more from patentable um, band-aids. And that's true across everything, um, whether it's human health or environmental health or even social justice, sadly enough. You know, we look at these extractive mentalities that come in and make money, unfortunately, off of problems existing. And so they're not incentivized to create holistic wellness from a, a foundational or, or systemic approach. And so looking at nature as this closed loop system, as many indigenous cultures have always done and still do, is what we need to return to and hopefully give those people more of a megaphone as we move forward. But it's going to take breaking out of the influence that, that industry has over these approaches um, because agriculture makes a heck of a lot of money off of giving chemicals to farmers to kill weeds, giving chemicals to farmers to grow more food. And when they're able to do it themselves um, and become self-sufficient, you know, that, that industry is, is unfortunately at risk for those investors. So these are billions and billions of dollars that we're talking about. And, um, it takes, I think, a revolution, I think, from the ground up of a lot of people realizing so that then the, the solutions will come from the top down when enough people realize, hey, you know, soil is, is a big deal here. And, and we'll get into more of it, why soil, you know, really addresses our air, our water cycle, our climate, our food system and human health. And that's why I think it's such an important thing. And it, it seems like a nerdy issue. And it's so easy to dismiss because the, the, the beauty and the majesty of it is invisible, but everything starts there and everything can be fixed quite quickly in the, in the grand scheme. Um, in a few years, you can regenerate soil and draw down so much carbon. You can really transform ecosystems fast. And that's just awe-inspiring when you see it happen. So... There's, there's a lot of problems out there, but the main gist is that soil is just waiting for us to pay attention to it. You know, it will be inevitable that eventually people realize, hey, what about this thing that actually makes sense? You know, the carbon that's in the atmosphere that we're all complaining about, maybe instead of just talking about reducing emissions, you could actually draw it back down. And hey, the, you know, the droughts that are happening. You know, agriculture is using over 90% of our water. So maybe we should be thinking about how that happens. Are there solutions to keep the water in the ecosystem on the farm rather than destroying our groundwater, destroying, you know, these, these other uh, collateral ecosystems in the process. And so it's, it's not necessarily just one fixed thing, but the water cycles right now, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I'm sure most of you do know that California is basically the West Coast almost entirely is, is burning um, quite unprecedented ways. And, um, you know, so much of our agriculture in the United States comes from California and it's very centralized. And that's a whole other issue about the problem of centralization. But <clears throat> these water cycles about how much rain, you know, uh, actually happens in these other forests and these other areas that are burning it's not the only part of the, the equation, but 
agriculture has a lot to do with those those uh, small climate ecosystems and, and how much rain is going to be cycled back through. So it has a lot to do with the plant life that exists. And it becomes a positive feedback loop once you start taking care of soils um, in a positive way. And then, of course, you know, as a tangent, the controlled burning that indigenous people had done for a really long time to not allow for so much to be built up that then burns in the way that we're seeing now. So I, I hope that, you know, we start to elect um, and just put indigenous people into positions of power or, you know, whatever that power may be, whether it's, you know, government elected officials were just listening somehow, some way, shape or form and listening to the wisdom that they've had all along because, you know, I don't know if anyone's listening to this internationally, but American culture is got to, got to chill out, I think, with, with our own arrogance of, of, of our solutions that, that we impose, you know, and just, and just let people show us what they had paid attention to. Because the beauty of listening to indigenous leaders is that they were listening to Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point, you know. We just want to get back to that. And I love, too, I read somewhere, actually, um, the book Climate, A New Story, there were so many things in the book, but one thing that really spoke to me was that we have this, we, we tend to think that as humans, we need to just step away and let nature be alone because it's so sacred. But then you look at indigenous people and that's actually not what they were doing. You know, they've been actually working with nature and helping nature. Like you said, like doing these fires so that it doesn't go overboard and like, you know, tending the land in a way where it actually can be wild in a beautiful way. Um, so so yeah, I think that's like really reassuring because it's like we do play a part in the ecosystem. We're not just this like vicious species that's supposed to disappear and just like leave everything alone because we need to be here. We just need to learn to do it in the right way. And that's why I think re- regenerative agriculture is like, you know, for me so exciting because that is how we can actually participate in the ecosystem and grow food and do that in a way where you actually regenerate the soil and the world and the planet. Um, one thing that I've learned too is that Sometimes why it's so hard for farmers to transition into um, to regenerative agriculture is because it's it's hard sometimes. Like when you talk about, jeez, um, um, now I'm losing the word. Like how we do farming today, it's all about numbers. Like use this amount of fertilizer and uh, pesticides, and then you can grow this many amounts of food, and then you make this much money. But when it comes to growing food the way we should be growing food, it's more about like learning and doing and like processing and just seeing over time and so you can't compare and it also like depends on the area right so like one farmer might be having to do it one way uh, and depending on where in the country they have to do it in a different way so I think like because we don't have like one set of like ideas and numbers to showcase that's sometimes hard Um, but then I've also learned that you know so showing farmers how it can be done differently is very it's a good way to um, help them transition but then there's another additional problem where most farmers don't actually own their own land. And so if they can't prove to their landowners that this is, you know, um, from an economical standpoint, a beneficial move, it's hard for them to be able to do that. So that's something that I try to think about a lot. Like, is that, can we as consumers, as just everyday people help impact that? Or like, is that completely out of our hands? Do you know what my question is? <laughs> yeah, there are so many <laughs> great points there that I wanted to touch on. Um, yeah, because, you know, in California, a lot of people talk about the wildflowers and it's they're actually, you know, 
it, like you said, it's a bit of a myth. They're, they're less wild than people think because they were actually planned over centuries. And even the Amazon rainforest is, is actually, you know, there's evidence to show that it was probably the largest, you know, human-made garden ever. Um, mm. And I don't know exactly how many hundreds of thousands of years that that took, but it's pretty amazing to think about that. And it actually starts to make a little bit more sense. At first, it seems unbelievable. But then when you really think about the way that humans interacted with the land for a long time, it does make sense. And so right now, you know, we're at this point where so much does come back to the bottom lines that have to do with with making money because you know whether or not someone owns the land and whether they're going to pay their lease has to do with meeting uh making those ends meet right paying those bills and can they even afford to purchase and take over the land and do it the way that they want to do and so commodity crops are really incentivized and our own government incentivizes and pays with our tax dollars to to pay you know the difference on a lot of these foods that are the foods that are killing us they're the foods that are most destructive to the ecosystems but they're also the foods that are most destructive to human consumers as we eat them and so when fo when farmers try to transition to regenerative practices it is a bit tricky you know we have to admit that reality is that you know the first year to two or three could be hard financially in the sense that transitioning in a way to get to that organic certification, which actually takes three years, depending on what, uh, if they were not certified before, but also to implement some of these regenerative strategies as they wean off of the chemical fertilizers and the chemical inputs, takes a little bit of time, and then the uh, system is actually paying for itself. Now they're making more money off of their crop. They're growing more diversity, and they uh, will make more money that way. But they're also in, their inputs are dramatically reduced, not just for chemicals and things like that, um, fertilizers, pesticides, fungicides, etc., but also just their water, and then their resilience. So when there's a drought that plows through, and you can see this in farms, literally they're side by side, regenerative versus conventional, and a drought or a flood will come through and a flood will wipe out their neighbor and the regenerative soil is actually sucking it up like a sponge. And it, you know, just it's physics over time. This is how, you know, the soil is actually able to absorb it more. Uh, just a one percentage point increase of organic matter in an acre is going to hold 25,000 gallons more water. So when it rains, it actually stays there. And then that means when the droughts come, they're more resilient, so um, they're not as affected. So they don't lose. Their Which happened last year, right? Yeah, it happens at this point. It's happening. I mean, the past several years for U.S. farmers, it's been like a disaster uh, in many parts of the country. It's been it's been pretty rough. A lot of farmers more and more are going bankrupt, and then they sell to a larger company, you know, usually multinational company or something that is buying up more and more land, and then you know the negative kind of impact continues where it's more centralized and they're just adding more and more chemicals. So transitioning that is, is going to take, yeah, there, there are financial solutions that need to be figured out. And these things like anything, you know, we have to remember that it's not sustainable if it's not financially sustainable in this system. So if we're living in the real world, which some people, which we are, <laughs> you know, some people uh, don't like the ideas of like activism or environmentalism, ever uh, being profitable. But I, I think, you know, on 
it's it really has to be the opposite you know we shouldn't be vilifying the people that are doing the work that's actually going to restore you know humanity and, and the earth um we all have to pay rent and pay our mortgages and things like that so you know and keep the businesses going so many nonprofits. this is just a great example they just they, they don't work because they they can't do you know fundraising dinners forever and and it's it's tough so uh, mm-hmm. you know how do we make it financially sustainable i think it's going to that part is going to have to come from a little bit more of the, the top down i think to have have a big impact but in the meantime yes finding those regenerative farmers those regenerative growers and supporting them um just knowing where the food comes from and we vote with our dollar you know every day and it's very easy to get caught up every four years in the U.S. around these elections. And we have a huge one, obviously, coming up. But the, the vote is happening constantly. And that's not a metaphor. You know, I mean, we, we really have to think about it that way. Because statistically, if you can change the, the market share by just a few percentage points, if a company sees that, you know, consumers, they've lost like, you know, three to five percent of their profit because consumers are demanding X, Y, or Z and we're not doing it yet. If they can clearly see, they'll be like, okay, we have to switch. It's actually a pretty doable tipping point culturally. If you're able to convince enough people to stop buying something for a certain reason or to start putting their money elsewhere, you know, we can like leverage the greed of these companies in a way and kind of flip the script there where it's like, Hey, if you want our money, then do it this way you know, earn it. A few things. I, since we are talking about politics a little bit, um, I haven't, I mean, to be honest, I haven't actually read the whole Green New Deal in detail, but I know that it talks about agriculture. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, the so, Green New Deal is a bit uh, in the works. I think it's a bit elusive right. as it is right now. There's, I think, some some structure, but I don't think it is actually formally complete. I could be wrong. But that's the last that, that I heard. It's more of a vision, I think, than an actual plan. But it's becoming more of a plan. And I think we need to push for it. So, like, if we do elect someone who's pushing for the Green New Deal, we also have to hold them account- accountable and make sure that, you know, they're actually follow through on what needs to happen. I think agriculture, especially in this country and in many countries, is a huge um, part of both the economy um, and climate change. So... So I think if it's if a shift starts to happen from you know the, the higher levels of society and they start like really pushing for uh, regenerative agriculture, I think that could be a huge step in the right direction. And um, since we are talking to people here who really want to help drive change and make a difference, and we talk a lot about the importance of acting on a local level, so talking to you, your friends and family and like engaging in your local community is really important because that's where the action happens, both politically, but also like you said, voting with your dollars and stuff. Um, what would you say to people? Like what is the best way that anyone can help fuel this movement? If you're just an individual who's passionate about making change. Totally. I think um, I, I always like to return to composting because if people see it in action, at first, they're a little weirded out, probably, 
um, because if they hadn't seen it before, you know, it's like trash, like it's dirty, it's gross. Why would you keep that around, you know, like get it off of your property, right? But when people actually then, when you can show them, you know, a few weeks or months later that what you've created, um, particularly if they can see a before and after, you know, even if it's just a picture that you share, and then you're able to put that somewhere, somewhere valuable, like your own garden, ideally, but it can also just be a potted plant. You know, you could have an indoor plant even and put some vermicompost on there. Um, and anyone can do this. And, you know, I live in a one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles and I'm composting inside. So I, you know, you don't even need a yard. Um, anyone can do it. It doesn't smell. I actually have a whole video on on indoor vermicomposting. Yes, it's with worms and that can weird people out too. Um, and it weirded me out, I'll be honest. At first I was like, you know, I, I should be the soil guy. This shouldn't be a problem. Come on, man, man up. Um, but as you go, you actually, you know, you're just, your whole experience with this stuff changes as you work with it. And you realize, the, you know, it's not some eerie, slimy situation. It's like, it's so profound. <laughs> And until you do it uh, you, and see your trash, your waste become the most valuable thing on planet Earth. I mean, it's not hyperbole. It's the most valuable resource on planet Earth at this point. And so when you create that and then you know that you're going to grow food that is going to grow out of the nutrients of something else, and you realize, wow, you know, nature is a cycle. It is beautiful. I don't need to then pay for other inputs to grow in my own garden because I'm just taking the other foods that I was using and putting them back in. So I think just participating in the first kind of closed loop thing that you possibly can is really powerful. Um, when family and friends see that and participate with it in some way, and if folks have backyards, you know, then that's a lot easier for them to do a, a compost barrel. It's not actually that strange for a lot of people to do it outside and just thinking, can I get my food scraps to not go to a landfill? That's gotta be step one. Um, for anyone who's heard of this book, Project Drawdown, um, led by Paul Hawken as the lead editor, you know, they organize a list of what are our biggest impacts that we can make. And food waste is listed as number three, but he's gone on record very clearly to say that the only reason that it's number three is because they were trying to make their, their, their stuff so bulletproof from a statistical standpoint that he didn't want to include anything that they could not absolutely prove with the metrics of. And the thing about food waste is not only are there massive you know, amounts of waste along the supply chain, and we waste over 40% of our food. And you can imagine a giant pile of food and 40% of it gets thrown into the trash, but you have to also think about 40% of the water that was used to grow that is now kaput for no reason. 40% of the you know, gas that was used to drive it across the country, 40% of the pesticides used, and 40% of the nitrogen fertilizer that goes into the oceans unnecessarily. Um, so how do we prevent that? But also when that food waste goes to the landfill, it's emitting so much greenhouse gases in the form of not only CO2, but methane and nitrous oxide that are more potent of greenhouse gases. We actually just don't have the tools to measure it. It's, 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 it's so astronomical around the landfills around the world. Um, but if that was to be included, as Paul Hawken will admit, food waste would be the number one 
problem, but also opportunity for solution, right? So that can't be exaggerated or overemphasized the importance, I think, for people to think, wow, you know, I am throwing a lot of stuff out, right? I chopped off the end of a carrot, it went into the trash. It's inconvenient for me to do something else with it, but you know what? I'm going to commit. I'm just going to buy a composting thing. I'm going to start. Just do that leap. Buy the bin, buy the worm bin, whatever it may be, and start that. If you can start that, the next things are going to take off. Then you're going to go, what do I do with this compost? Shit, if I had a garden, I could actually use it. Or just (laughs) find a friend who's growing and go, hey, I've got a cool way for you to, you know, grow more nutritious food. Um, and if you can't do that, find someone who does. So really that's even the, the lower hanging fruit is do, do I have a friend that composts? There's a website that just started called makesoil.com where you can actually look up and see if someone takes compost or food scraps in your area. But uh, maybe you just get connected with someone at a community garden or one of your friends who does it and say, hey, I, I saw that you compost. I know that you compost. I'm not ready to do it. Can I give you my food scraps? Um, you know, that's, it's really just getting the ball rolling. So it's finding whatever that, that step is for you. Cause if you already do that, then maybe it's, you know, starting a tower garden on your balcony or starting actually growing in the ground um, or something like that. Those, that's Yeah. I want to, sorry. I, I just, <laughs> when you're talking, I, I love composting myself. I was part of trying to save the composting in New York. We had some sort of win, but Part of why I love it so much, first of all, I always try to think of the trash as like death. Like it's the monster you don't want to feed. So like try to put as little as in little as possible in the trash. And like if you have food, like do you want to feed life, which is a composting pile, or do you want to feed death? So that's like an easy try to like always think about. And then secondly, why, I mean, we, I'm now living in countryside, so I'm, um, I can actually compost my own food in the backyard. But like, I think, what's so beautiful about composting of all the things we can do as activists is actually like you, we tend to feel so detached from, um, from the world and from life and from the cycle of life. And by composting, you're inserting yourself back into the cycle. So you're becoming part of it again, like you're becoming part of this full loop. And I think it's, it, it's like what comes with that in sense of like sanity and like mental health and happiness I think it's like, it's so multifaceted because it's not just that you're doing what you can, but like, it's going to give back to you in ways you don't even, can't even imagine because suddenly you feel like I'm part of the solution. I'm in touch with nature again. I'm actually part of the cycle. And so then you start to realize that we can actually be part of a circular system and I'm being part of it already. So I think um, if you aren't already composting your own food, that could be a good challenge for yourself because it's going to be, um, like you said, weird at first, but then it's going to start giving a lot more back. You'll probably see a friend or two, uh, and it may take a couple of weeks, may take a couple of months, but people will follow your lead. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really cool, too, is when you start to see the friends go, you know, hey, I could grow a tomato on my rooftop or my balcony or whatever, you know, depending on where you're living. And, uh, and then, wow, I do, I do throw out too much and there's very real mental health benefits from a scientific standpoint i mean there's you know we we know of the bacteriums that are in soil that actually can create feel-good hormones in the body and that stuff is actually very new 
science, there's not a ton of research as much as I would like there to be, but just putting your hands in soil is a very healing thing. Um, and even, and that can even be in indoor compost, actually, just exposing yourself to uh, microbial diversity there is good for human health. I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but the fact is, you know, human beings evolved on a planet where we ate food without sterilizing it, right? We took food out of the ground. Maybe we brushed it off. Maybe we rinsed it. We certainly didn't flash pasteurize it. We certainly didn't do all these things that, yes, they have some safety benefits now that we have this monster of a food industry and we have to be protective of, of many of those things. But if you're growing your own food at home and you know that the soil is clean and it's organic and things like that, sure, you can rinse it off, you can brush it off, but, but don't feel this urge to you know spray it with Lysol or something, right? I mean, we want that bacterial life and that can seem strange for people because we've vilified bacteria and we're living in a period right now of you know viral uh, epidemics so it can be strange to think of microbes as actually part of the solution but the fact is you know there are trillions of bacteria and viruses and all these other microbes that exist out there and a few of them can be pretty harmful but the vast majority are there for a reason and are part of our ecosystem and our human interaction with them is is quite important and so cutting ourselves off from the natural world is you know, a big philosophical problem that, that's happening as much as you can even just get outside and expose yourself to diverse ecosystems and, and get your hands in any soil as much as possible um, there's very real science to how that affects our own intermicrobial universe and our, our next film is actually about that so mental health next film yeah. yay <laughs> going from the microbes in the soil to the microbes in our own gut and so you know we're outnumbered by the bacteria that exists in our own uh microbial ecosystem and once we mm -hmm. start thinking of ourselves as an ecosystem and part of the overall ecosystem and once we start thinking about the earth as having its own gut microbiome, which happens to be our soil, start to see a lot of these really cool parallels. And um, I think when, when people make that connection about you know destroying our own gut bacteria, which in America, ooh, it's like it's toast. I mean, we've destroyed the microbial diversity that should exist in our own gut. And so we're, we're now seeing some good science. There's still, again, a lot more to be done, but we're seeing the some good science that shows about how it's connected to our neurotransmitters and um, and to our, our just our mental health overall, connected to things like cognitive decline, but also Alzheimer's and uh, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's dementia, but also anxiety and depression. And of course, we all know that we're in a really dark time mental health wise. Uh, there's all these external reasons as to why that is justified in many ways. But at the same time, you know, building our own mental health resilience is going to be more important than ever. And so as these doom and gloom stories keep unraveling for us, um, it's, it's okay to feel, I think, the anxieties and the depressions that come because we're only human. But we have to be thinking about ways that we can overcome that. And that has to do with protecting ourselves and our own health and our own microbial diversity. 
So I'm excited to get into that new stuff. And of course, probiotics and the microbiome has become really trendy lately. Um, we've been kind of pre-planning this for, for many, many years as we were learning more about soils. We were learning about the gut ecosystem at the same time. And uh, the associations that are happening with so many diseases, it's really, it almost sounds science fiction. You start to see what's possible um, just by shifting the microbes. So that's, again, it's, you know, it's on both scales, the human scale and the planet scale. But they're both so fixable. And that, that is why it's so cool. We really, we will change this. Uh, it may get darker and scarier before that happens. But, you know, things that are common sense, when it's on your doorstep enough, people start to go, okay, what was that other thing you were talking about? Right. Maybe we should try that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, yeah, I, we'll get there. Yeah. I think also, like, I keep reminding myself that, um, you know, we, we tend to think, like, things are just getting worse and worse. But the new show, Down to Earth with Zac Efron, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like just the fact that there is, you know, pop culture now about, you know, how to be better humans and how to learn to live in symbiosis with the earth again. It's like, that's pretty cool. Like a few years ago, that was unheard of. So it is becoming more mainstream to care about stuff. And I think like I'm trying really hard to make soil sexy because it is. So like the more of us that do things like that and we keep talking about it and we're showing up and we like talk about it like in a way that it is cool. Um, and we'd start composting our food and we like show it off to people. Like we just, we are the ones who set the trends. And so we have to also remember the power that we hold in the ways we do things and what we talk about. And I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> I feel. Well, this is an important point because I think sometimes, and, and I, I feel this way, like, you know, just, uh, we, we want to walk the walk, but the thing is that the walk doesn't happen until the talk has happened enough. I think you know, mm -hmm. like, as as we think about these issues we want to remember that just they they really can't happen unless people are talking about them a lot right and so it's not just okay well you know i'm going to talk to my friends about this or whatever but when it becomes part of the zeitgeist when it becomes part of the cultural narrative that there is a solution out there what the hell are we doing you know people have been screaming from the rooftops about it for so long and been ignored and this is you know pretty common, I think, historically throughout science in general, when people discover something new that goes against the conventional paradigm, it's kind of thought of a little bit crazy for a while. But eventually, um, you know, we get to this point. And how are these solutions going to take off? You know, you could tell me about all the problems in the world and the news can tell me about this and that, but no one's going to learn about investing in something cool unless they heard about it. No one's going to learn about, let me do my own compost unless they heard about it. You know, no one's going to learn about the fact that soil is the only safe place for our carbon to go unless people are talking about it. And as a little anecdote, when I was at this climate rally in D.C., and the Pope was, was in D.C. at the time as well, and so there were all these thousands of people, and every climate change organization you could imagine, practically, um, was there and they all went up and did a speech and everybody had a couple minutes and i felt like i was in the twilight zone because everyone went up one after another and talked about reducing emissions and that's great but that's only that's all they said you know at the time and this was several years ago and like you say things are changing and they're changing pretty rapidly now um 
no one except for the guy that I was there with, Larry Copold of the Carbon Underground, a phenomenal nonprofit, he was the only one who talks about sequestering CO2, right? To, to drop back down into the earth, to put that carbon where it came from. And so we have this excess load. If we magically stop tomorrow, all the planes, trains, buses, and conventional farming, including animal agriculture, it all vanished. We never emitted another, you know, molecule of CO2 into the atmosphere, we would still have this excess, right? It would take estimated around a thousand years, give or take, who knows? But we can speed that up dramatically. Um, so so that, that atmospheric CO2 is either gonna go into the oceans, it's gonna acidify and cause carbonic acid, which is main driver of coral reefs, just eroding, sadly, along with tons of other chemical pollutants. But it can also go into our soils. And so the ocean can take a little bit and wants to, to, to an extent, but it caps off and then it becomes toxic. Whereas our soils are starving for this. And really, technically it's the plants that will suck it down and then put it into the soils, right? So covering bare soil with vegetation as much as humanly possible is a big piece of this. So maybe you have some bare soil in your backyard. And ideally it's not grass, ideally you want to replace it or it's a perennial grass or a more uh, native grass that has a deep root system, that's awesome. Um, ideally it's not just a lawn that's gonna take so much water, but ideally you can start growing a, a diverse array of something that's going to continuously be doing photosynthesis, right? And so it may seem like a, a drop in the bucket of just my little backyard, but it has to start everybody's got to participate, you know, cover that bare soil. And now the soil is not losing moisture because it's got that protection. And now it's actually sucking down uh, carbon. And so we, we pull it down, we go into its roots and it trades it off with the microbes. There's a little exchange that happens with these microbes where the microbes give nutrients back to the plant roots and the plant roots gives it these carbohydrate sugars. So now that carbon is existing in the soil systems. And so ideally we're not tilling and ripping that up because that's another paradigm shift that unfortunately I have to change through you know, our traditional ideas of, of agriculture. Um, but it's like a hurricane blasting through a city when we till soils, because there's just networks of life that are beyond our comprehension that are happening there. We just go, eh, screw it. And we just rip it up. Now, not only is it destroying those ecosystems of the microbes, but the carbon that was there connects with oxygen in the air and actually, bye-bye, it becomes CO2 again. Um, just something people don't realize is that uh, most of our emissions have come from ripping up soils. And uh, in, this, in another amazing film uh, called Kiss the Ground that's coming out next week on Netflix, which you've got to see, the movies, I think, complement each other very well, even though they're, you know, they're both soil films. Uh, they actually show, I believe, one of the NASA images of as our agriculture season hits and the tilling happens and you see the, the plumes of, of carbon going into the atmosphere. Um, and then when it's the growth season in the spring, we actually see the, the sucking back down and you can really see this from, you know, from outside the earth. It's not theoretical stuff. So how do we prevent those emissions is also, it's more important. I think, than, than our transportation, to be honest. I mean, that's kind of a controversial thing because we want to switch off oil, agreed. But if we were to 
not change agriculture, we could do everything else right and all go to solar and wind and you know, change our diets and, and this and that to some degree, but it won't matter unless we regenerate topsoil. And I think too, one something that's so positive about soil is that when it comes to transportation and oil use and all this, it feels like the individual needs to sacrifice so much. But when it comes to changing how we grow our food, it's going to be beneficial for everyone, you know, and like, we are actually going to get more nutrient dense food, we're going to get more food, it's going to be a healthier climate for people. And you know, so like, it's such a positive cycle of things where it's not just like, oh, we need to change how we live our lives or we will die. So this is like a really good solution where people can be very excited about it. And I think when it comes down to us, it's like, what you just said, it might feel small, it's just my little plot in my own backyard. But you know, someone needs to start changing how we look at yards, like it doesn't just have to be grass, it can be more wild. And that's cool. It's beautiful. So like, it just starts by setting trends, it starts by talking about the, these things with friends and families. So like having the guts to start this conversation over dinner. Um, and then also something that we talk about here in my climate optimist class is like, how do you pervade this message in a way that people feel excited? And so we can't just always come at people with shame, but like, how do you actually communicate these things and make people feel like they want to participate in that conversation and learn more? And so I just like knowing how to navigate that, but continue talking about it. Like you said, cause some, at first we need to start talking and then we can start walking the walk. But I want to hear real quick from you, what happened to Michael and his project? Because that was such a cool thing. And it was so sad what happened to him when it burned down, but like it's been a few years now. So is there any updates? Like, is he back on it or what's going on? Well, the movie releasing was, was really helpful for him. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. And that was something that Ryan and I, when we made the movie was always like, if that's all that we can do is help contribute, you know, getting this story out there for this guy's technology to somehow be taken seriously. If nothing else happens and no one sees it really, or we don't make any money off it or, you know, whatever, it's just, that will be, we can sleep at night because I believe in that system more than ever. And it sounds, of course, very biased coming from the dude who made the movie about it. But as I've communicated with the heads, executive directors of several organizations who look for the best climate change solutions out there, and I'm lucky to have relationships with some of them and I've asked them, show me your finalists, what are your top 10, what are you excited about this and that? Nothing. <laughs> Again, it will sound totally biased, but nothing comes close to what he's doing. And the reason why I say that is because soil, the understanding of, of the diversity that has to happen in soils for them to be regenerated quickly is something that still is going to take a lot of education for people to understand. Because um, it, it is very uh, new and it's very complex. But as we talk about in the film, you know, part of what he's doing is, is speeding up the regeneration of these humic and fulvic acids. We didn't get really into the nerdy stuff about it, but we've since found out that he's actually speeding them up way more than we ever anticipated, way more than we knew about at the time. And it was when he was getting his products certified by the USDA and they tested his, his, his biostimulant, this liquid fertilizer soil amendment, and asked him where he was using for his inputs of his humic acids. And he said, I'm not using anything. It's coming from my system. And normally in the fertilizer industry, they actually use these substances. They're mined out of geological layers called Leonardite shale that are between 15 to 75 million years old. 
and they were and this is where people they it's a finite thing it's mined you can look it up they add this to their fertilizer solutions and you spray it and it gives a good boost and it's kind of a natural uh fertilizer but it is mined out of this geology and they said where do you use you know what are you, what are you inputting he said nothing they to the point where they didn't believe him they had to send somebody there because the concentrations were so high it didn't make sense and when I and this was after the movie was done, I was like, "Damn it! I wish that was in the film." <laughs> but um, you know, it sounds crazy, but it may be concentrations that take millions of years to be accomplished in nature of these humic substances. And there's a lot of mystery as to what these things actually do. They act kind of like plant hormones toward the immune system of plants, um, but they communicate in weird, freaky ways that, again, we don't quite understand. And I say we, but I'm not a soil scientist uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But from what I've learned, um, it's very magical stuff when people use it. And so um, that's been exciting. So where he's at is he's been iterating to actually create smaller uh, scaled versions of components of his system. Because that was one of the biggest things that came out of the response from the film was can I do this in my backyard? And, you know, the system in the film is a quarter acre system that's a pretty large investment. It would take a long time to have an ROI, but his uh, components of it. So he's been, he's been moving along with that. He's been inundated with interest from so many countries around the world. Uh, COVID definitely threw a wrench in a lot of the momentum. He was being flown around and people wanted, you know, hey, can I put it here? The thing about the system is to do it right, and this is like natural systems as you were talking about, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing usually. And we don't want to be thinking about it in that way. And it's, it's not an inconvenience. It's about optimizing it for the region. And so depending on what the input is going to be to make the system work, has a lot to do with the design. And so uh, lots of people are interested is the good news. Um, others, some, some are ready to move forward in, in certain ways more than others. What I can say officially is that Hawaii has moved forward on some uh, official grants to move the project along. And that recently just happened. Uh, there are a lot of other oh. things that we can't say officially, you know, I wish things would happen faster, but you know, with a multi-million dollar green tech that's so disruptive and new, it does take time. Okay. Um, building these things is just like so much red tape because people are like, what is that? You know, just getting <laughs> regulations of like, what are you doing? You know, is that safe? You know, what, what are you making? Um, so it, it, cha it takes that education. I think people that are in startups and green tech know that these things do take patience. But the good news is that uh, he's, he's, he's going strong. I'm gonna, I actually talked to him pretty frequently. I'm going to go up and visit him in, in just a few weeks. So lovely. Well, what, what tell a, him we say hi, and we're supportive of him from afar. <laughs> yeah, the outpouring cool. of love for him has meant so, so much to him. And um, it really does does keep him going because it's it's an uphill battle for guys like that you know it's it's uh he's been taken advantage of quite a bit over the years and even with the green powerhouse technology it's you know the business side of it is not easy so um he appreciates all the, the love 
Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you learned a ton. I hope you're excited about soil, about composting, about making this world a better place. There is so much we can do. We gotta keep talking so that we eventually can start walking the walk. So spread this knowledge, spread this information, get your friends and families excited about everything that we can do to change the world. And um, again, if you haven't seen the film, head over to theneedtogrow.com, check it out. And if you're interested in joining the Action Squad, go to theactionsquad.com. You can start with a free trial. I really hope to see you there. Let's change the world together. And until next time, have an awesome day, an awesome week. Stay optimistic, stay healthy, stay inspired. We got this, people. Let's change the world.